Hello and welcome. You are listening to our bonus patron exclusive episode of our 2023 year-long John Cassavetes marathon add-on to our Uncut Gems podcast that we run just in the wider world. I suppose I will introduce myself as well. So my name's Jakob. <laughs> and my name's Randy. So today we are talking about A Woman Under the Influence. So that's episode number seven of our marathon. And, uh, you know, if you're listening, by the way, just I always forget. So if you're listening on our Patreon, so if you've subscribed and, you've, uh, and you're supporting our show, thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts for uh, helping us pay the bills for this. Yes, thank uh, you. For this weird hobby of ours. <laughs> Uh, and um, if you if you're not if you're listening to the um, short teaser that we have elsewhere, then just bear in mind in 15 minutes or so this is going to come to an end, and you'll have to go to our Patreon, which is Patreon.com/UncutGemsPod, where three bucks a month will buy you access to this and many other podcasts. And actually, this month you it will also give you access to um, our bonus addition to our ongoing Soderbergh project, which is split between our main show where we do the un let's just say underrated movies of us and and uh, the Patreon where, where we do, we go after the more so from well-recognized classics. So the more recognized pairing of, of this month is Contagion. And in addition, in addition to our long, well, so the month long piece of two Kevins, Kevin Reynolds plus Kevin Costner films uh, on our Patreon, you will also find our conversation about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So go and check this out. <clears throat> And you know what, without any further ado, we might as well just get into it. Because I have a feeling this conversation is going gonna, gonna to require us uh, to do some, you know, just to reach deep down into our psyche, because today we're going to talk about, I, I want to I, I guess, let's just say a harder movie. I mean, none of these movies that we've done on, this, on the Cassavetes Marathon were particularly easy. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. But yeah, I think we're we're getting to the apex. So, let's just, you know, like get into our, uh, you know, just on, lie on our chaise longs at a therapy <laughs> session and just st- start talking about uh, a woman under the influence. What the hell are you talking about? You didn't do anything wrong. It was just the way he was looking. Sit down, Billy was Get looking at you this way. Like the he didn't know you don't do any harm. It's the way the guy looked at you. Here's the guy, he's looking at you like this. He don't know what to do. This monkey don't know what to do. He thinks you mean something. He don't know you don't mean it. I don't mind you being lunatic. Ricky? Not lunatic. I didn't do anything wrong. So, A Woman Under the Influence, that was written and directed by John Cassavetes, uh, stars Jenna Rollins, Peter Falk, uh, Fred Draper, Lady Rollins, Catherine Cassavetes, um, and uh, Matthew Cassell, and um, a few other people, but it's mostly, it's mostly about two people anyway. Um, and that's it, was John Cassavetes' children as well. Um, and then it tells a story, uh, and it's a it's a film about a marriage, at a let's just say a, a a very difficult point 
in in their in in their sort of relationship. So it's a marriage between Mabel and uh, and Nick. So it's a and uh, Nick is a sort of I don't want to say a manual worker. He's a working class mm-hmm. guy. He's married to the to this young beautiful woman, and they have three kids together. And she's a housewife. And uh, some at some point through the film, they he 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 can't get. I don't know. They they can't communicate. Stuff stuff happens. We're gonna get to all of it, but she she ends up being ends up being committed to a a mental institution. Um, and the story goes from there. I suppose the story goes from from earlier than that. But I think that's the sort of the the big key sort of turning point in the film. So it's a movie about a falling mar- failing marriage, let's just say, in the very Or is it? <clears throat> this is gonna be a point. Yeah. yeah. So story goes, I mean, in contrast to like M- Mini and Moskowitz, which we talked about last month, that was like the easiest shoot ever. Under under budget and on time. And then <laughs> You know, you, you think to yourself, oh, maybe John Cassavetes figured out how to actually make movies <laughs> on time and under budget. No, he hasn't. Um, it's a one so, and done. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that this, it's art imitates life, I suppose, because in in, in he pro- promised Jenna, his wife, that after he's done doing many in Moskowitz, um, he would. He would take three months off, and they would go on this sort of leisurely vacation to kind of just just exist together. But he immediately two weeks after that, he came up with this idea to do a woman under the influence, and um, he started working on that. Or maybe no, hold on, maybe it was on husbands and many in Moscow. It's maybe that was the other way around because it's it's weirdly sort of reflected in the film where there's guy the guy Nick just leaves his his wife hanging when when she just pawn their, their kids off to, to the in-laws so that they will have a nice night at night in together. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so immediately after finishing Mini and Moskowitz, he started thinking about, let's just make a movie the way I've made movies, as in like husbands and faces. So he started thinking about writing 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 another film. And then so just so happened that Jenna Rollins, to his wife, came to him and she said, I'd like, you know what? I'd like you to write me a starring role. I'd like to be yeah can i can i have a movie essentially she said to him and he said sure he started writing these sort of stories and then we realized that he actually would would like to make a play instead so he wrote a series of three plays <coughs> each of which would be related to each other and he planned that they would be like one act plays played on consecutive nights where general Owens would be um so a star in, and essentially what, like everyone's kind of said to him, like, this is kind of a stupid idea. Like, why would you do that? Like, there's no one's going to, like, how do you imagine, like, playing this off and actually making this a success? No, this is a bad idea, even though apparently there are some examples where this happens. So he event- eventually ended up, like, rewriting and rewriting and hybridizing all these three one-act plays into what ended up a woman under the influence. So the complete script. And then he imagined that Jenna Rollins would play against Ben Gazzara, but it turns out that Ben, ben, ben Gazzara ben was busy. Um, and he... I think this may have been at the same time when he was also being courted by Elaine May to play in uh, Mikey and Nikki. Mm-hmm. 
uh, together with Peter Falk. And they were just like, they were great friends after husbands as well. And he imagined that he would like Peter Falk to actually do this, uh, do this main role and play opposite Jen Rowland in, in A Woman Under the Influence. And he pitched it to him in a way that he said, like, oh, I have this movie, but it's totally not for you. So, you, like, I'm, no, I, you wouldn't be able to do this. So he wanted wanted Peter Falk to want it because it just he wanted to prove that he can. Because if you just gave him the role, he would just probably say no. Um, so, so he just made, made him desperately want the role, so he gave it to him. <clears throat> And then just like the usual kind of falls from there. So he didn't have any money. No one had any budget for this. So he, they, they figured out that they needed roughly $250,000 to make this movie work because they've just, they've completed the script. They realized how long they need to rehearse. They need to uh, rent a house. So they did. They rented a massive house in Los Angeles. And it's a fun little story because if you actually watch the movie, you, the house that they use looks very small mm-hmm. but it's a part of a massive house and then if you actually if, if, i don't know if you have your wits about you you can actually just maybe you probably wouldn't it would be difficult to actually understand oh this is a massive house they're just using a small part of it but if it's a small house it has very spacious rooms um but they True. just use like two of them um, because they just set up offices and and everything sort of upstairs so they just took over most of this house for the backstage side of things and then just shot in essentially two interiors. That's kind of where the movie happens. <clears throat> so they rented this house um, as a result of this in LA, but then in order to kind of just make enough money to actually just about start, because I think, well, uh, Casavetes thought that he needs needs $250,000 to make this movie and everyone told him, like, you need at least two hundred twice that much so he said so he probably knew that he needed at least half a million or maybe even more but he he all he needed was enough to start and then he would worry about the rest later so just what he did so he remortgaged his house for like the fourth time <laughs> um and then he raised half of the sum so he would raise hundred twenty five thousand dollars and the other half was uh uh, raised so essentially, just Peter Falk gave him one hundred twenty-five thousand uh, dollars in sort of as well to be recouped when from box office receipts. And then I suppose if he had his wit, his wits about him, he probably would know that he's like seeing this money back because um, that would be the historical precedent. So they did got together and they started rehearsing. They started shooting, and then, uh, or before they they did that, he also realized he had no no money to actually rent a crew. So he had like, Casavetes had this fantastic idea that he would uh, become a fellow at the American Film Institute because you know like, he's an accomplished filmmaker. So he became a fellow, and then as a result of being a fellow at the American Film Institute, he had crew for free, students. <laughs> uh, so he got a lot of union crew. I mean, union sort of students fired most of them because they realized they they you know they they wanted to work the way the way you're supposed to work you know calculate the focus pulls and whatever uh and he uh, Casavetes didn't want any of that because it was just ruined his mojo so he fired most of them and he, uh, and he promoted a very junior sort of um, camera apprentice to like you're the DP, DP now or his name was Caleb <laughs> um Caleb 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 um can't remember now Jesus 
Is it a guy who had a career after of sorts? He's he actually ended up being uh, working f- working with him on opening night and on killing of the Chinese Chinese bookie. Oh Jesus Christ! Why am I forgetting the guy's name? I'll get it. You keep going. Um. No, no. Maybe the Caleb the guy was um the guy he fired. Yeah, it was Alan Rubin maybe? Um. Anyway. I'm not sure if he was related to Aruban anyway. But anyway. So according to IMDB, uh, there are two uncredited cinematographers here, Mitch Brait and Al Rubin. This may have been Mitch Brait. Okay. <clears throat> so anyway. So he ended up hiring a lot of students and most of them walked out on this and then started striking because he wouldn't he wouldn't repay them very well because it was John Cassavetes <laughs> production, so no one had any money. Like the guy essentially remortgaged his house for the umpteenth time to make a movie that he just desperately felt he wanted to do. So he started doing these sort of... Um, I mean, the actual shoot didn't re-involve much drama. So they shot the film, as per usual, 120 miles of footage or something like this. They had, no, 100, <laughs> like 200 hours of footage, some stupid number like this. And then the editing started, so he just produced a four-hour cut, then a three-hour cut, and eventually like said, they settled on a... a two hours and 35 minutes and then they shaved off another nine because someone lost nine in the process somewhere. <clears throat> Problem started because I think they finished the movie in 1973, just early there. And if you look in Wikipedia, you know that, well, this movie opened in 1974. So what happened? So one, once he finished making the movie, he realized that, okay, well, he started pitching this to distributors and studios and no one really wanted to pick it up. So nobody really wanted to touch it because it was, you know, like, oh, it's a drama, so no one's going to come and see it. So distributors didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um, so eventually what he decided was, after a while, and this is a little bit of a story, and it's, and it's kind of one one of those that um, it kind of just comes back to his earlier experiences because at some point during many in Moskowitz, uh, so he decided, okay, first, I'm, First thing is first, he decided he wanted to show this movie at the New York Festival. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety, head over to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash uncutgemspod, where for three bucks a month you'll be able to hear many other bonus recordings of ours, such as tie-ins to our main show, mini retrospectives and comprehensive director marathons. Patreon.com slash uncutgemspod is the place, so head over there and subscribe. Mm-hmm.